The following audio is from Pathway Community Church. More information about Pathway Community Church is available at www.pathwaycommunity-church.org. Well, if you would, open your Bible or your Bible app or whatever you use to Psalm 113. And so open to the middle and uh, go a bit to the right and you'll find it. And this morning we are starting a new series called The Paradoxes of Christmas. A paradox, in case you're wondering what that is, is something that from its appearance seems contradictory. But really when you understand it, when you take a closer look at it, you realize that it's actually true. Right? So here's maybe some paradoxes you've heard before. The more you learn, the more you realize how little you know. Right? That's a paradox. Or how about this one? The only constant is change. Right? See, uh, at the surface, they seem to contradict each other, but as you understand them, you know that they're really true. Well, in the Paradox of Christmas series that we're going to be looking at, there are five paradoxes in the Bible and specifically related to God and the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take a close look at these paradoxes, and at the surface they may seem contradictory, but what I want you hopefully to see in my prayer is, is that as we understand these, that you'll see, man, these are true about Jesus. And it'll make us more in awe of him and, and more in wonder of who he is and what he's done for us. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in this series. And so I hope you will tune in. I hope you'll be here each week, and, uh, and including on Christmas Eve, as we look at these paradoxes. So this morning we're looking at Psalm 113. So if you're there, uh, you can follow along in a moment as I read this. But just to set the stage, Psalms 113 to 118 are what are called uh, Egyptian Hallels, right? Hallel is Hebrew for praise. And so these are Egyptian praise songs. And essentially what they're about, the, the people of God were bondage, they were slaves in Egypt. You remember that God took them down there, they became a great nation, but then another pharaoh got in charge and he was an evil pharaoh. And he made them slaves, and they had to make bricks with straw, and they said no more. And then he made bricks without straw, and it was like hard work, and it was brutal, and they were in bondage. But then God delivered them. He set them free from that bondage. And so every year they were to celebrate their freedom by remembering this at the Passover, right? The night that the angel of death passed over their homes. And if you had the blood of the lamb on the doorframe of your home, then the firstborn wasn't killed. And so they celebrated the Passover every year, and they sang these psalms, these songs, remembering the freedom and deliverance they have out of Egypt. And so Psalm 113 is the first of these songs, probably sung at the beginning or sometime near the beginning of the Passover meal. Pretty amazing to think about that. And so here's what I'd like you to do is, is now that you have that understanding is stand as I read Psalm 113 and listen to this song and hear the words of the Lord. So please stand. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all the nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks down, far down on the heavens and the earth? 
He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Amen. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. This psalm calls all servants of the Lord, all believers, to praise and to worship the Lord God. Because he is both far above us, but he also cares for our needs and takes notice of them. And so as a result of that, we're to praise him. God is great. God is full of grace. God is mighty and he's merciful. And so we praise him. But don't take my word for it, right? Let's look at this psalm together. And I want you to see for yourself what's going on in this psalm. And my hope and prayer is that we will just be more in awe of God and worship Jesus and bow down to him as a result. So first notice the psalm starts out with praise the Lord. Now, some translations, maybe in your Bible, it says hallelujah, right? We just sang hallelujah. Hallelujah is two words in Hebrew. First, it means hallel, which means praise, and then yah, which, which is short for Yahweh, which is God, the Lord God. So hallel Yahweh, right? Praise the Lord. It's both a declaration, like we just sang, and it's also a command. And so here the psalmist is commanding us to praise the Lord. Notice how many times he says this. Four times in this psalm we're told to praise the Lord. Verse 1, praise the Lord. Verse 2, or verse 1 continues, praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. And then verse 9, it ends with, again, praise the Lord. I mean, do, do we get the point yet? Those that know the Lord, the servants of the Lord, praise the Lord. Notice again who, who, who it is that's supposed to praise him. It's not just anyone here, but it's specifically verse 2. He says, praise, O servants of the Lord. It's those who know the Lord God personally. Those who've been delivered from bondage, who've been set free by him. Those who know him as their master. Just like royal subjects praise the king, those that know the Lord God as the king of kings praise him because of who he is and what he's done. Praise the Lord, O servants of the Lord. But notice, too, the extent of praise that we're to give the Lord God. Did did you hear that here? He he says in verse 2 and 3, From this time forth and forevermore. Let me just ask you this. How long is forever? Right. I mean, there's no end to it, right? From now and forever, the servants of the Lord are to praise his name. Wow. Right now in heaven, the angels are surrounding the throne of the Lord God. And Revelation 4 tells us that right now at this moment, and not just in this moment, but for eternity past they've been doing this. And for eternity future they they will be doing this. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. 
The angels at this very moment, and and not just at this moment, but constantly have been praising the Lord God and and will continue to do that and to worship Him and to bow down before Him. And and we're joining them when we do this. When we praise the Lord God, we participate with what's already going on in heaven. But where are we to praise the Lord? I mean, if you look at verses 2 and 3, it says, From the rising of the sun... To its setting. So this is just a, a quick quick quiz to see if you, you know what's going on in, in terms of the heavens and the sun, right? So where does the sun rise? Okay, in the east, right? The sun rises in the east. Now, where does it set? In the west. Okay, now, imagine this. From the rising of the sun in the east. So when you see the sun rise in the morning, if, for those of you that have ever gotten up that early, some of you don't even know what that looks like. But, but if you get up and you see the rising of the sun, right, and on the eastern horizon, and it comes up, and, and then you, at night when the sun goes down, and you see the setting of the sun, like from everywhere in between, and in fact, what it's really picturing is everywhere in the world, all over the planet, The servants of the Lord are to praise the name of the Lord and to join with the angels and to declare and praise Him because He alone is worthy. And so the psalmist is telling us, all who know the Lord, everyone who knows the Lord, to praise the Lord, to continually praise Him, to praise Him from morning until sunup, 24-7, 365, wherever you go, everywhere you are, to praise the name of the Lord. To praise His name. Now, why is it that you have to tell believers, those that know the Lord, to praise Him? Why do you have to do that? I mean, that's what's going on here. I mean, He's talking to servants of the Lord and He's telling them, hey, praise the Lord. Well, from time to time, Jennifer, my wife, asked me to do certain chores around the house, right? Maybe this happens in your home, man. And so she'll say, hey, could you hang this picture or could you fix this? And so one time she asked me to put a picture on the wall. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's no problem. I can do that. And so I had the nail already and I had what I thought was going to work. I had a pair of pliers. I didn't have a hammer. The hammer's in the garage. And, and I didn't want to go out to the garage. And so I thought, well, I can use the pliers and the nail and I can kind of pound that into the wall. I mean, how hard can that be, right? And so I tried to grab the pliers and use like a, a part of the head of the pliers to pound the nail in. And, and it actually didn't work very well. And I ended up going out to the garage to get the hammer to come back and do it the way it was supposed to be done to begin with. See, the pliers were never meant to be a hammer, right? We know this. Tom, you know this, right? Same is true with us as human beings. See, see, as human beings, we were created by God to worship God alone. That's how God made us, to worship Him. And we are most alive when we are doing what we were made to do, and that is to praise and worship God and God alone. And when you're doing that, then you are living and alive the way He made us. But here's the problem. Because of sin, and because we're fallen in our natures, because of sin, we're broken people. 
that, that our hearts are now turned inward on ourselves. And so instead of praising God and giving Him the, the, the worship He alone deserves, we, we worship created things instead of the Creator. We do this. We, we worship creation. And, and so instead of realizing God's the one that created it and worshiping Him, we, we find things in creation or people in creation and we praise them and worship them a, instead of giving that glory and praise to God alone. We do this with people. We worship people. We, we do this with sports. We, we worship sports. I mean, sports even have songs that we sing. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with watching sports, but sometimes they become... Idols, right? An idol is, is when you give something that's created by God, you give it ultimate place in your life that's reserved only for God, and then that becomes an idol in our hearts. And so we worship money, we worship our jobs, we, we worship the past. I mean, we can do this with anything. And this even happens, believe it or not, once you become a follower of Jesus. Even after we come to know Jesus, we can still be tempted to worship created things and to make created things ultimate things in our hearts instead of God being the one that has the rightful place in the throne of our heart. And so that's why the psalmist tells the people that are reading this and tells us today, God does, that that we must praise the Lord. That's the way he made us. That's the way he created us to be most alive in him. And so I just want to ask you this morning, how are you doing in worshiping the Lord God everywhere all the time in your life? I'm not just saying going around singing all the time. Yes, singing is one of the ways we praise the Lord. But there's other ways we praise Him as well. We praise Him by speaking words of thanks, like, like Mark did this morning, and like hopefully you did this week at Thanksgiving, and, and thanking Him for His blessings and His goodness, even in the midst of hard times. We also do this by, by physically kneeling down, like physically getting on our knees. And Have you ever done this when you pray to God and you just show that you are worshiping Him by physically your posture being bent low before him or by raising our hands the song just talked about that this morning to raise our hands and we don't just do that to 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 look cool or or think hey you know look at us but but it's because he is the ultimate he is the supreme god and so we worship him and we praise him by raising our hands we do this by serving him or serving others you know the people that decorated they were they were praising and worshiping god by serving us and making this beautiful you know, when you serve other people, you're serving God if you do that by faith in Him. Or, or when we tell other people about Jesus and we let them know how great God is and, and how the only way to have a relationship is through Jesus. And when we do that, we worship God, we praise God. And so how's that going in your life? Praise the Lord. Praise you servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Wherever you are, all day long, every day, we praise Him. Now, why is He worthy of our praise? Why 
would the psalmist tell us to do this? I mean, what about God makes him worthy of that kind of praise? Well, the rest of this psalm gives us two reasons why he is worthy of all our praise. The first is because he is far above all creation and all the heavens. And the second is because he cares for us and he takes notice of our situation. So let's just look at those. First of all, praise the Lord because he's high above all creation. Look at verse 4, what it says. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Do you know a country is a place that has a permanent population Uh, a permanent uh, geographical area, and it has a government that's overseeing that country. That's what a country is technically, right? And so according to the United Nations, there are 195 countries in the world today. That's a lot of countries, right? Listen to this. There are 54 countries in Africa. There are 48 countries in Asia. There are 44 in Europe. There are 33 countries in Latin America and the Caribbean. There are 14 in Oceania, and there are two countries in Northern America, right? Now, that's a lot of countries, right? Think about the different countries in the world, right? And think about there's someone in charge politically of each of those countries, a president, a prime minister, a king, someone that has ultimate authority in those countries, Right? And think about it too, most, probably all of those countries have some kind of military power. Some of them bigger, some of them smaller. Right? I mean, China, United States, Russia, I mean, think about the military money and force and power in each of these countries. Right? And imagine all those countries and all those leaders, those powerful leaders and all those military forces. Imagine if they all came together as one. Just imagine that. I mean, just imagine the, the, the force and the power of that. Pretty crazy, right? That's, a, that's some serious power. And yet, look at what this says. The Lord, the Lord God is high above all nations. Like that means the Lord God, he is so much superior. He is so much greater than all the nations of the world combined. Like he is mightier. He is more powerful. There's nothing or no one that is more powerful than he is. In fact, the Bible says that the nations, the earth is his footstool. At home, we have an ottoman. And the only thing that that ottoman is good for is is when I'm ready to sit down and just kick back, I can sit back and put my feet up on that, and it just serves my purposes to help me relax. The Lord God is so far above the nations. He is so much more powerful than all the nations of this world combined that, that they're as if they are his footstool. Not that he has legs and feet, but they're like his footstool that he's just like. The Lord is high above all the nations. But, but notice too, right? His glory, it says, is above the heavens. Above the heavens, right? 
I mean, glory, glory is a hard word to describe, right? I mean, whenever we talk about glory, it's like, wow. I mean, it's not like a car. You can go touch it and, and you can measure it and have dimensions to it or, or a building or a place or a person. Glory is hard to wrap your arms around. And yet, don't we know when we see something that's glorious? Just on Thanksgiving, after we had our meal, Jennifer and I went out for a walk, and we were walking around Barron's Park, and it was right around uh, about 4.30, around whenever the sun sets. And we were walking around there, and the sun was setting on the horizon in the west, and, and as it was going down, we're like, man, she, she just said to me, and she didn't know what I was teaching on. It wasn't like I set this up, right? And she said, man, that's glorious. Glorious. Have you ever said that about creation? You've seen a mountain range, you've seen the ocean, you've seen the sunrise or the sunset, and there's just something in it. You're like, man, that's just, that's just magnificently beautiful. It's just so glorious. That's just a taste. That's just a, a glimmer. That's just like a, a microscopic fraction of, of the glory, of the majesty, of the beauty, of the greatness of God. And I wish I could describe his glory to you. See, when it talks about God's glory in the Bible, it's the essence of all that he is. Of all that God is, is, is he's glorious. All of his greatness, all of his majesty and power, all of his beauty, all of his holiness, all of his perfection. And what the psalmist is saying here is that the glory of God, the Lord God, is is just a slightly bit greater than the heavens. Is that what it says? No, it says it is far superior even to the heavens. Like, oh my goodness. I mean, like, I'm going to have a brain cramp this morning just trying to fathom how amazing God is, right? L- listen to this. Think about the universe, okay? Scientists have estimated that the universe is 93 billion light years in diameter. Now, don't go out and try to calculate that this afternoon, but, but they figured out, I mean, that's, that's, that's massive, right? So one light year is six trillion miles, right? A light year is how far does light travel in a year? And they say it travels six million miles in one year. So if you want to do the math on this, it's six million miles times 93 billion light years. What's it? Nobody's got it? Okay, go home and do that later today, right? That is the diameter of the universe. And somebody I was talking to the other day said, and, 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 and then on top of that, the universe is expanding. Right? So, anyhow, now, to put it in perspective, we live on the planet Earth, right? We call this Earth, and it's part of a solar system of sun and planets that go around the sun, and that's, that's our solar system here, right? Our solar system is just one of hundreds of solar systems in what's called the Milky Way galaxy, right? We've heard of this before. Not the candy bar, okay? And, and the Milky Way galaxy, get this, is just one of many galaxies, right, called the local galactic group, 
right? So imagine many Milky Way galaxies that make the local galactic group. But that's not it. The local galactic group is one of many other local galactic groups that make up the Virgo supercluster, right? And the Virgo supercluster is one of many superclusters that makes up combined our universe. I mean, I wish I had pictures. This is, this is like crazy, Right? I mean, just, just imagine the immenseness and, and the universe. It's just mind-boggling. And yet, here's why we're looking at this. Because the psalmist says, the glory of the Lord God is high above the heavens. The glory, the majesty, the beauty, the power, the wonder... The holiness is so far above us and above our universe. It's so other than us. There's no one like him. And what the psalmist has been describing in in verse 4 is really God's transcendence. Say that word. I know it's a big word. We don't use it often. God's transcendence. Right? And God's transcendence means... That which is beyond us. That which is independent of the material universe. And independent of all known physical laws. See, the Lord God is independent of his creation. The Lord God is independent of the laws that he's established in creation. The Lord God is far above them. He is far superior to them. He's other than them. The Lord God is majestically transcendent and holy. Man, I'm so looking forward to this message today because I feel like we just have forgotten the transcendence of God. God is beyond our thinking even. He's the one that made us. God's nature, His power is completely independent of us. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all you his servants. Now the psalmist stops here and he says, okay, listen, it's time for a pop quiz, right? I mean, we've been going on a little bit and we're, we're looking at this. So here's the pop quiz and you help me with this, right? Verse five and verse six, he, he starts to say, who is like the Lord our God who's seated on high? I mean, he's asking a question, right? Who's like him? Now, keep in mind, it was, this is a song sung, uh, that was sung around Passover. And it was to remember how God delivered them from the bondage in Egypt. They were slaves. They were under a cruel master. And, and, and God said, I'm going to take you out. He raises up Moses as the intermediary. And Moses goes toe-to-toe with Pharaoh. And he says, okay, you got your gods, Egypt? Well, let me show you my God. And so plague after plague, ten in a row, it's like, okay, you got a God for this? Well, let me show you how God defeats that God. Defeats them. Does it ten times. The tenth time he sets them, you know, free from bondage. They says, leave, you know, get out of Dodge. They head towards the Red Sea. They get trapped at the Red Sea. The, the, the army's like, wait, we can't lose it. Let's get them. And they go and they're trapped. And then God says, no, I'm going to make a way. And he opens up the Red Sea. And they go through together on dry ground. And then the army comes after them. And the waters come back and they're all destroyed. He's like, I want you to remember that. Like, who, who is like who is like our God? Who, who has more power than our God? Who can defeat other gods like our God? Who can set you free like our God? Who, who is like our God who is seated on high? 
What's the answer? Who is like our God? Who is like our God who's seated on high? The answer is no one. There is no other God. There is no one else like our God. There is no other. But, but, but wait, not only is he high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Check this out. We praise the Lord because he cares for us. The Lord God is far above all the nations and his glory above the heavens. But, but look, he, the second part of that question, he says this. He says, yet who looks down, far down on the heavens and on the earth? He, he, he's exalted high above. He, he, he's greater than it all. And yet, who is it that looks down and takes notice of us? The Lord our God does. He notices you. He sees you. He cares for you and for me. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. He must just look down on the rich and famous, right? I mean, he must just look down on the people that are the most popular. Like the ones that have the most likes in their social media. Those are the ones he looks down on and takes notice of, right? I mean, those are the ones... No, look, look, look what it says. Not only does he notice the poor and the needy, but look what he does to the poor and needy that he sees. Look what it says in verse 7. He, he raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, to sit with the princes of his people. This is our mighty God doing this. Listen, I think uh, many of you know that three years ago, uh, we got a puppy in our house. Uh, we got a dog for Jake, right? Our d- Maddie uh, left for college. Tim was already out of the house. And Jennifer's like, listen, we can either get an exchange student or we can get a puppy. <laughs> we chose the puppy. Not that we're against exchange students, right? Anyhow, so we got a black lab. He's a puppy and man, he could chew stuff up. Well, now he's three years old. And so Jake, he doesn't have many chores, but this is the chore that we gave Jake, right? He said, okay, every weekend you got to go out in the backyard and you got to clean up the dog poop, right? That's a sweet gig, right? Sign up for that one. And so he doesn't always remember it. And sometimes I have to do it. Well, yesterday he remembered and it hadn't been cleaned up in a while. Right. So. So, I mean, he's going around the yard, you know, with the jewel bag on his hand and putting and and man, this was a big, heavy bag that he was carrying by the end. I mean, like it was full of poop. Now, imagine this. I was just kind of thinking about this and said, what if we took all the dog poop in Elmhurst, just in Elmhurst? Right. And what if we found a place and we could just go pile the dog poop up? Right. Where could anybody got an idea where we could do that? Okay, anyhow, and, and we're going to pile all the dog I mean, that'd be a pretty big pile, right? And then guess what? Guess what? If people that lost their jobs during COVID and had no place to live, and guess the people that, that were, were poor and had no home of their own, guess what? If they started living by that pile of dog poop, that'd be pretty nasty. I mean, those aren't the kind of people we want to hang out with, is it? Those aren't the kind of people we want to really be with, is it? But you know, in this this verse, it says that he lifts the needy out of the ash heap. Another word for ash heap is dung pile. 
that the Lord God takes notice of those that are poor and those that are living in a dung pile. And he lifts them up and he makes them princes and he gives them a new name and a new identity. That's what our Lord God does. He cares for us. I've had a chance to go to a place in, in Manila in the Philippines. It's called Smoky Mountain. And it's not like the Smoky Mountains here in the United States. Right? The Smoky Mountain in, the Mil- in Manila is like, uh, it's a, I also went one time to the trash dump in Quito, Ecuador. It's the place where they take all of their garbage and they put all the garbage in this one place and it piles up and it becomes this big mountain. And the reason it's Smoky Mountain is because they're trying to burn this garbage. But here's the thing, and I was just like, I was floored by this, that, you know, people actually live in these trash dumps. They actually live there because they go through and they look for things that they can maybe salvage and they can sell. And they're like, you know, maybe I can make a living. And so they build homes out of cardboard and plastic and things they find in the trash. And and then when I was there, there were actually churches being planted in a trash dump to reach these people that live in the trash dump. People live in trash And yet God says he raises the poor from the dust. He he lifts the needy from the the dung heap. And he makes them to sit with princes and with the princes of his people. See, God's people knew what it meant to be poor and needy living in slavery in Egypt. They knew the bondage of, of, of living under Pharaoh and the the curse of living there with no way of escape, and their only hope was God. And God took notice of them, and he rescued them, and he brought them out of Egypt, and he gave them a new name, and he gave them a new identity and a future. And I just want to tell you this morning, how much more does God do that today? How much more does God come and see us in our poor and needy state? You know, the Bible says that the the worst kind of poverty is to be spiritually poor. To be poor and bankrupt in your spirit. To be needy. Like, I can't earn my way to God. And I can't, you know, I don't have anything to give God to make him love and accept me. And and, and when you recognize you are poor and you are needy, the the Lord sees you. He, he, He takes notice of you. And he comes and he rescues you and he lifts you up and he gives you a new name and he makes you a prince of his kingdom. That's what our God does. That's what he wants to do with you today if you don't know him. And so we praise him. We praise him. But notice the last thing here in verse 9. It says, he gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. The history of Israel and our history, if you know Jesus Christ, the, the nation of Israel started with a man by the name of Abraham. And he had a wife by the name of Sarah, and Sarah was barren. And God came to her and allowed her to have a child, the child of promise, and his name was Isaac. And then Isaac married a woman named Rebekah. And Rebekah was barren. 
And God came and said, I'm going to allow you to have children. I'm going to give you joy. And she had two children, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, he wanted to get married. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to find somebody. And he finds Rachel. He's like, oh, to get Rachel, you also got to marry Leah. Anyhow, but Rachel, it says, was barren. She couldn't have children. And God said, I'm going to give you children. I'm going to bless you and give you joy. The, the, the history of our faith as followers of Jesus is one of barren women that couldn't have children, that God intervenes and gives them great joy because they have children more numerous than the stars can describe. Barrenness in Judaism, barrenness in Israel, man, there was nothing more shameful for a woman than to be barren. Because basically, you know, you're going to have children and your children are going to carry on the family line. And if you couldn't have a child, if you couldn't, you know, produce any kind of offspring, then you were, there was shame. But you know what our God does? He takes notice of those that are in shame. He takes notice of those that are carrying around shame. And he comes and he says, listen, I want to give you joy in place of your shame. And today, if you're here and you have shame in your life over your sin, if you have shame over things you've done in your past, if you have shame that you're carrying around, the Lord comes and he's the mighty one that's greater than the heavens. He's the mighty one that's more powerful than the nations. But he takes notice of you and he sees your shame today and he knows it. And he says, I want to give you joy in place of your shame. That's our God. And so this morning and this afternoon... And tonight and tomorrow and wherever we go, the servants of the Lord, we praise the name of the Lord because of who he is and what he's done. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you so much that even though you are completely other, that you are far above the heavens and the earth, that you are completely separate from us, that you took notice of us, and that you came and you entered this world as a helpless baby, and you lived among us, and you made a way for us to have relationship with you, to be lifted out of our poverty and our neediness, and, and to know you and to have a relationship with you. Jesus, you did that for us. And to replace our shame with joy and to give us a hope and a future. And so this morning, the only thing we can do is to praise and worship you and to give glory to you and to no other. And may we do that today and throughout the rest of our days and wherever we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.